one of the best decisions I'd ever made was to coach girls basketball. It, it just made me a, a better person, a more well-rounded person as far as seeing the other side of athletics, uh, the female side of athletics. Coaching girls basketball, everything's the same inside those lines, X's and O's and strategy and scouting and fundraising and all that. It's exactly the same as it would be for boys. So it, it was an absolute great decision. Uh, I look back at my times co coaching girls basketball very fondly. Great memories, great relationships, um, and learned a lot and became better for that experience. Welcome to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Join hosts Adam Hall and Walt Serrato as they sit down with some of the biggest names in Ohio high school basketball and beyond. This show and all of our shows are available to listen to completely free anywhere that you can find podcasts. We hope you enjoy the podcast. Let's get to it. Hello, it's Adam Hall here with my co-host, Walt Serrato. And tonight we are excited to be joined by Doug Graham, current president of the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association and assistant basketball coach and principal at South Point High School. Doug, thank you for coming on tonight. And welcome to the Holding Court Podcast. Uh, Adam and Walt, thanks for having me on here. Uh, I look forward to this uh, opportunity and uh, look forward to answering your questions. So, Doug, before we get started, uh, congratulations are in order as you and your wife recently celebrated your 20th wedding anniversary. Uh, knowing you a little bit, I would imagine that having to put up with you every day for the past 20 years is challenging to say the least. So I hope you did something special for Tiffany on your anniversary day. Yes, uh, absolutely. She is a saint. Uh, she is the rock of our family, uh, of our household. Did a couple special things. We, of course, went out to dinner and got her flowers and uh, had a, a singing group show up to her classroom. She's a kindergarten teacher. So uh, really early in the morning, about 830, uh, four individuals showed up in her classroom and sang her a couple songs. So, yeah. And then we're going to get out of town here on spring break for a few days and uh, just have some time me and her. Awesome. That's great to hear. So, Doug, talk to us a little bit about the importance of having a supportive spouse in the profession that we are in. And in, in what are ways in which you have tried to involve or include your family in what you do, especially during the season, when I am sure, like most coaches, it can be difficult to find that balance? In my opinion, uh, and for my case, it's absolutely critical to have your family and your spouse uh, on board and all in with what you're doing. You know, I've said it all through coaching for about four, four and a half months out of the year. The spouse is almost like a single spouse as far as taking them to birthday parties, taking them to doctor's appointments and um, taking them to, to basketball practice or cheer practice, whatever the case may be. Um, they're doing that a lot of times on their own, and they're doing it um, multiple evenings, going multiple places in the evening, and trying to make and support uh, the game that you're coaching in. So having the support of your spouse is paramount and crucial to coaching. Uh, it's so difficult. And to follow up on the second part of your question, how do you involve your family? Well, my kids, my oldest, um, and even my youngest, they like every other coach's kid grew up in the gym, they would uh, go with me to practice, whether it be a Saturday morning 8 a.m. practice or after school, they'd show up and 
they would be in the gym with the ball, trying to shoot at the 10 foot rims or dribbling or during the game they uh, they would sit on my bench and, you know, they would nugget your pocket. Can I have $2? And uh, during the fourth quarter of a game. Um, so it's, uh, I would always take my, my boys to practice with me or to games with me and team meals. My family would always be there with, with the team. Um, doing team functions, having the team over to our house for Christmas, uh, for gift exchanges and just providing food and just developing those relationships uh, in our house. Just as another way I incorporated family into the program and just seeing a different side of me, seeing me as dad instead of the coach or the teacher. So Doug, can you talk to us a little bit about your decision to get into education and coaching? Was it a certain experience that you had or maybe an individual in your life that helped lead you down this career path? Yeah, well, that's an excellent question. As far as getting into the career of education, I first started thinking about being a teacher. Uh, I had a teacher in middle school named Mr. Maynard, Mr. Chuck Maynard, and the, the relationship that he had with the students really made an impression on me. It wasn't anything about social studies or ancient times or colonial times or American history. It was just about that interaction he had with me and my friends and everybody. It was, he was just, you wanted to be around him and the relationship that he had with these students was just something that inspired me. Like, I want to do that. I want to, I want to build relationships. I want to inspire uh, individuals to go chase their dreams. So he was the first teacher I had that really made me want to be a teacher. And then I had, you know, others in high school that made me want to be a teacher. As far as coaching is concerned, I've really been blessed. I remember my first uh, organized uh, youth basketball coach, Bruce Johnson. He was my best friend's dad. He was uh, just a character. He was hilarious. He made practice so much fun. He made the game so much fun. And, and then whenever he stepped aside, my other friend's dad, Charlie Pennington, he was uh, another youth league coach of mine. He was, his temperament and his demeanor was so like calm and he was just so relaxed and I always felt like he was under control. Um, then I moved on to junior high and I had uh, Dave Frazier and Kenny Hurst who were absolutely awesome, just legends in our school. And one was the assistant principal, one was a hall of famer in our school. And then in high school, I was really, really lucky, and I had the opportunity to play for a former Division One basketball coach. Um, his name was Rick Huckabee. He coached at Marshall University, left Marshall University, and South Point hired him as the high school basketball coach, and I played for him for uh, three years. Um, he moved on my senior year, and they hired somebody else. Um, but those those coaches, starting with Bruce Johnson and youth basketball all the way up to Rick Huckabee, um, in high school, uh, really inspired me uh, to want to get into teaching and coaching. So, Doug, take us back to those early years of your coaching career at South Point, where you had the opportunity to serve as a varsity assistant, junior varsity head coach, and an eighth grade coach. If you could go back in time, what would you tell a young Doug Graham just starting out in the coaching profession? I got to start into coaching. Um, I was actually uh, a volunteer uh, varsity assistant coach. And how I got that position was uh, the lady, uh, Sharon Bryant, who cut my hair all through high school and college. Uh, just one day talking a couple years after high school, I was probably a sophomore in college. I said, you know, I, I would like to get into coaching one day. 
and uh, Sharon, she was an aide uh, in the classroom for the current varsity uh, basketball coach at South Point. Um, so she told him and, uh, you know, word got back to me that he would be interested in me coming on. Um, so I was a volunteer for two years, didn't get paid anything. Uh, I was in college, uh, paying a tuition bill and working a job uh, to help make ends meet as far as cell phone bill and, and gas and for my car and tuition. And I asked my parents, Hey, do you care if I quit my job that I've had for, you know, two and a half years to go volunteer basketball coach? And they, they were great about it and said, yeah, you know, we'll help you any way we can. So I volunteered um, at the varsity assistance position for a couple of years. So I evidently I did a decent job. So I got hired to be a teacher at South Point Middle School. And I started coaching uh, middle school basketball for a few years. And then I got the opportunity to go to the high school and be a JV coach. Um, and I was a JV coach there for a couple of years. Um, as far as this, the other part of your question, what would, what would I tell a young Doug Graham 23 years ago? Uh, with, without a doubt, I would tell him stop worrying about the wins. Definitely my first few years, several years in coaching, I was driven by the wins. Um, I felt like that was my worth. That's how I would let everybody know that I was a good coach was the wins and the, and the championships. When nobody in this world knows how many wins I have, I, I, I even had to go look it up. It's, it's all about the relationships with your players, with your players' parents, with your assistant coaches, with the opposing coaches. You know, just being a, a good person and developing those relationships and teaching uh, your players, you know, skills that they would use in their, you know, marriages and their you know, careers. And whenever they go to high school or whenever they go to college, those skills that they're going to use there, you, you start teaching those skills in uh, why, why you coach. So I would definitely say stop worrying about the wins. No one cares about the wins. All right, worry about the relationships and, and developing skills. Coach, that's excellent. And and coaches, many coaches today uh, don't want to do what you did in regards to spending six years gaining experience as a coach prior to accepting your first head coaching position. I know myself, I spent five years as a middle school coach and junior varsity coach prior to my first head coaching position, and I still wasn't ready. Talk about how valuable those early experiences were as a coach and how it helped prepare you for your first head coaching position. Whenever you're doing the volunteer assistant role or the seventh grade basketball coach's role, you are beginning to get a small snapshot of the larger picture of what it takes to run a program or to be a varsity coach. So being the volunteer assistant at the high school level, I was setting up the camera I was mopping the gym floor before Tuesday and Friday night game. I was using the, the, the handgun to crank up the side baskets that took five to ten minutes to crank up on the side baskets. I was ordering the pizzas. That way they're delivered for the team after the games. And then when you're coaching seventh grade, you know, in a lot of ways, the middle school coach, seventh grade coach, uh, and the eighth grade coach, are they have one of the most important jobs because they are selecting the 12, 14, 15 kids that, We'll be moving on to eighth grade or to freshman team or JV. So it's very important um, as a junior high coach to making sure you're getting all the kids in there. That way the varsity coach has a large pool to select from. So it's, it's so important. You may think you know how to be a head coach, but you have no clue 
to how to be a head coach until you get that experience of being an assistant, being a seventh grade head coach, being an eighth grade head coach. Like it, it gives you valuable experience on how to just handle situations that arise, whether it be with referees or parents or players or whatever the case may be. So it, it's important just to get a small snapshot of the larger picture to, to do those other roles in the program. Yeah, there's so many things behind the scenes that we do as coaches that I think the general public has a misconception about. Oh, right? for sure. So let's fast forward to the summer of 2006. You accept the position at Ironton High School as their head girls basketball coach. You know, this is a position you'd hold for the next 15 years. What made it the right time for you to accept that position? And with all your coaching experience, only being on the boys' side, did you have any concern about making that move to the girls' side? Uh, that's another great question. I had never entertained the thought of coaching girls basketball. I've uh, been to very few girls basketball games whenever I was in high school. And I went to a few in high school. I went to a few in college, um, but never really entertained the fact of coaching girls basketball. I got into it in a funny way. So uh, I coached uh, girls basketball at Ironton, which is about 15 minutes away from the school I was teaching and coaching at. And... Um, the guy I was coaching with at South Point, Mark LaFon, he had taken the boys' job at Ironton a year earlier. Uh, coach LaFon was very influential in my you know, professional growth as a coach and a teacher. Um, when the girls' job came open at Ironton, he said, you know, won't you think about applying for this, this job? This is a varsity job. It's a, it's a good varsity job to have. There's great athletes here. There's great support here. Um... And I was like, man, I'm not really interested in that. And, and he calls me back the next day. He said, no, no, really, seriously, you need to take a long look at this. It's a great opportunity for you. And at the time, Ironton was moving into a, the Southeastern Ohio Athletic League. So it spanned from Ironton, which is down the, the, the southern area of Ohio, all the way up to like Zanesville, and then over to Marietta and Warren and Logan and Jackson, and these, these schools are just three and four times the size of Ironton. You know, I'm going to be on the bus from Saturday morning at 8 a.m. going to Zanesville for a JV game at noon or 1 o'clock, and then a varsity game at 1.30 or 2, and then getting home at 8, at 8 p.m., and it's just, it just wasn't something I was interested in. So he calls me back the next day. He goes, no, seriously, let's apply for this. Let's, let's, this is a great opportunity. So I do apply for it. Uh, go through the interview process, interview with the principal and the athletic director. Uh, I take practice plans from whenever I was a junior high coach, whenever I was a uh, JV coach, the rules and philosophies that I have, things that I try to instill in players. And lo and behold, I get the job. Now, in my mind, you know, I'm going to coach for you know a couple of years. I'm going to move over to the boys' side. In my mind, I'm a boys coach. Well, you know, 15 years later, it's one of the, one of the best decisions I'd ever made was to coach girls basketball. It, it just made me a, a better person, a more well-rounded person as far as seeing the other side of athletics, uh, the female side of athletics. Coaching girls basketball, everything's the same inside those lines. X's and O's and strategy and scouting and fundraising and all that. It's exactly the same as it would be for boys. So it, it was an absolute great decision. Uh, I look back at my times coach, coaching girls basketball very fondly. Great memories, great relationships, um, and learned a lot and became better 
for that experience. So, Doug, your overall record at Ironton was 239 and 117. Uh, your teams were able to win 11 sectional championships, four district championships, and two regional championships. In 2010 and 2016, your team was one of the last four standing in Division Three. Talk to us about how you built your program at Ironton and then how you were able to keep your program performing at a high level year in and year out. Number one, you got to have players. If you don't have players, you can have the best um, scheme or you got the best strategy, but you got to have players. Players make coaches look better than what they really are. Every year I had great, I had great players. And the first year at Ironton Coaching Girls Varsity, I had a couple of seniors that were just great basketball players, but just better people in the locker room and in the hallways. Mandy Boykin and, and Rachel Walker, two just great, phenomenal athletes that just impacted the game in so many different ways and went on to play college athletics. Rachel uh, Walker went on to volleyball, uh, Rio Grande, Rio Grande, excuse me. And then Mandy went to run track at Cincinnati and later transferred to Georgetown to play basketball. So you got to have players and then a little bit of luck has to go with it. Uh, when you're talking about having a successful program, you got to have support of your parents. Parents got to see that you care about their child. Um, parents have to be willing for you to coach them hard. That doesn't mean like yell and scream, but that means like demanding things need to be done a certain way in order to have the results that ultimately everybody wants. You need to have a great AD uh, that sees the value of athletics principal as well and assistant principal. Building a program, you got to have players. you got to have support from parents and administration. And I had always had that um, there coaching uh, varsity at Ironton. As far as the Final Four teams, kind of funny. The 2010 team, so that was the first year. So the seniors in 2010 were freshmen when I got hired in Ironton. So looked at them, it's kind of my my group. And we did not have a successful year. I mean, I think we were 12 and 7 or something like that at the end of the year. I know we lost on senior night, um, the last game of the year, uh, at home to Jackson, who we beat previous in the year. They came out and they were better than us. And things were looking bleak. Uh, this The senior dinner after the game was awkward and we just kind of catch lightning in a bottle and we run off five wins in a row we get to the um, regionals and in the regionals I'm, i remember going to the convo for the meeting um, with the regional coaches and it was doug hell from oak hill had been to the final four several times it was scott scott bardall from garraway had been to the final four several times boys and girls and it was denton guthrie from alexander hood just been to the final four, I think in 07. And I look at my wife, I said, you know, I just, these guys are really, really good, really experienced. I'm just fortunate to be here and, and see what we can do. And just, we win the regional semi and we go on to uh, play Oak Hill, who was ranked, I don't know, third or fourth in the state and just pull one upset. And it was just caught lightning in a bottle and just got hot and everybody was playing their role. And, and it, it was, it was a really fun time because no one expected it. And, uh, you know, a lot of those players on that 2010 team, I still see around town and 
in the area and they have families of their own. And, you know, we talk about just the ride of that year from the ups and the downs and the back ups again. Um, it's, it's, it's really what makes coaching rewarding. And then the 2016 team, so it was kind of the opposite in 2016. So 2010 was kind of unexpected. 2016 and 2015, we got beat in the regional semis by uh, Fort Fry. It was a tremendous, tremendous program. Um, and really, it turned out to help us, um, as crazy as that sounds, because the work that those girls put in in the summer of 2015 and then all the way through the 15-16 season was unbelievable. Uh, we finished the year 22-0, and so we were the favorite in our district and region in that, uh, that year. And it's a whole different experience from being the underdog and just every win is just, you know, icing on the cake to being the number one seed and expected to win every game. You know, the, the commonality between those two teams, they were mentally and physically just tough. Just you couldn't break them in practice, in games. I mean, they were just, they were some of the toughest individuals that I've ever been associated with. So 2016 uh, and 2010, uh, those teams were mentally and physically tough, and it was a, a fun experience. Uh, 2016, we were the favorite, had a lot of good kids, but you know what stuck out to me was their work ethic and practice. We had to stop practice early several times because it got so physical, I was afraid someone was going to get hurt. So we would stop practice early. Uh, we'd do shell drill or box out drills or whatever, and we said, we're good, we're done right here. Like We, we need to go to the locker room and just rest up a little bit. So, um, yeah, I would say that the mental and physical toughness was the commonality between those two teams. Things that don't necessarily show up on the, uh, the box score, Without right? Doubt. That your great teams seem to always have. Coach, talk to us about the ways in which those teams you had at Ironton gave back to the community and why you felt it was important for your players and coaching staff to take part in some of those community service activities. So yeah, that's, an, that's another great question. I, I encourage any coach of any program, not just basketball, softball, football, track, whatever, to give back uh, to the community that gives so much to your school and to your team. I first started thinking about community service for my team when I had to take my, uh, me and my wife had to take my son at the Children's Hospital. And when we were walking in, we saw two-year-old children, four-year-olds, hooked up to machines in wheelchairs. Um, it, it was really eye-opening and makes you think and, and provides a new perspective on your life. And you may think you have it bad. You might not have the car you want or the cell phone or the clothes that you desire, but you have a lot more than what you think. You need to be thankful for a lot more than what you think. So I was trying to figure out ways to give back to our community. And one way was during Thanksgiving, Thanksgiving morning, uh, I would ask my girls team to meet me at the city mission at 8 a.m. and we would start making baskets for families in need in our community. I didn't make it mandatory, uh, but the overwhelming majority would show up and we would make baskets for two and three hours on Thanksgiving morning and then deliver them to families uh, in Ironton. We'd also do um, the angel tree where at the elementary they would be children on trees, children's names and families on trees. And we would always take the largest family. And if there were, usually there were four or five kids in the family. So there were four kids, the, the freshman girls would take one 
uh, child, the sophomores would take a, another child all the way up, and then they would go out and buy clothes or shoes or games or whatever. They, we would wrap them up, and then we would have the family over to the gymnasium or the auditorium and let them open their presents and let them play baskets and play music or play basketball and play music for them and just have a good time. Um, so community service is super important. And I think every coach should do something just to give back to the community. And that was just two ways that we did. So coach, let's talk about the summer of 2021. You decided to take a step away from your head coaching role, spend more time with your family and have the opportunity to watch your sons as they pursued their passions. How difficult of a decision was that for you? And do you have any regrets or things that you wish would have you would have done differently in your time at Ironton? So coaching sports and being a part of a program for X amount of years, however many years it may be, it becomes a part of your family, that program does. So making decisions to step away from it are extremely difficult. And it's not something you make on your own. But I knew the time was coming because my son was getting to enter the seventh grade. And here locally, the varsity girls and junior high boys play on the same evenings, Monday and Thursday. So it would come down to me missing 100% of his games, which my oldest son, Shire, was like, Dad, you know, I want you to coach. Like, keep coaching. Like, I love you know, the girls' basketball team. I love you coaching. Like you done it for so long, you don't have to quit to watch me. You know, my wife was on board for me to continue to coach as well. But the more I thought about it, the more my body would be at the gym coaching the girls, but my mind would be with my son. What was he doing? How was he doing? You know, how was he feeling? Uh, things of that nature. So it was a tough decision, but again, it was an easy decision because I love my family and I want to be around them. I want to be in involved. Like I said, it was tough, but it was easy. Um, so I got I got a chance to um, got a chance to be around him a whole lot more, both around our passions of, of the game of basketball. So, Coach, let's talk now about your roles within the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. When did you decide to become involved with the association, and what are some of the positions that you have held within the organization? I first started thinking about being a member, or excuse me, being having a role in the association was probably around 2010, 2011, somewhere in that area. Tom Barrick, who was at the time the president of the association, called me. I was on vacation, actually, um, at, the, at the beach, and he had called me and kind of, we talked a little bit. I didn't really know him that well. He called me and asked me if I'd be interested in, in running for a girls district director position. He said that, you know, they wanted to get some uh, younger individuals involved in the association. And I thought about it and I, I decided to do it and was fortunate enough to, to win the uh, district 13 and 14 girls director position, which I, I was, um, I did a couple, of, I did a, I chaired the assistant coach of the year award. I did the act, I was on the committee for the academic team, both team and individual. And then I was the director of the girls north south game uh, for several years. Then, um, probably four or five years ago, again, Coach Barrick reached out to me um, and said, uh, You would, uh, you'd, you'd be a excellent president of the association. I want you to think about maybe running for president one day of the association. 
a couple other guys reached out to me about being president and um, talked it over with my wife and kind of laid out what all the responsibilities would be and the time commitment. And um, she was like, go for it, like do it. So through my name in the ring, I was very fortunate enough to get uh, elected as president. Might have been the first, I don't know, first girls coach to be elected president. I don't know. So I served the role as, well, so when you're elected, you you do vice president for three years, kind of, you know, learning the ins and outs of how to run the organization uh, financially through awards and all that. Uh, and then you are the president for three years and then you're the past president for three years so really it's a nine-year commitment uh i'm on year four as being the president of the ohio high school basketball coach association so coach you're also the director of midwest live which is a scholastic recruiting event held in june at the awesome cedar point sports complex uh can you talk to us a little bit about that event how it came about how it was received in year one, and what's in store for Midwest Live this coming June. Okay, so um, yeah, Midwest Live is a scholastic recruiting event. So what that means, scholastic are uh, high school teams. So no like uh, prep academies or teams that compete on like the national scale. These will be schools that compete within their uh, state associations. And the, the people and the facility at Cedar Point, uh, they're both phenomenal. Uh, it was a great fit um, for the event, for us, for them. If you ever get a chance to go up there and, and check it out, I highly encourage you to do so. It came about, we were at the uh, National Basketball Coaches Association meeting in Cleveland a couple years, a couple summers ago. And one of the topics was the NCAA recruiting calendar adding a couple weekends in June. And the Coach Association had did a recruiting event, but it was geared towards the individual. At this meeting in Cleveland, uh, they were states that were doing it as team events. Georgia and Arizona uh, were the two that stuck out in my mind. So during a break in the sessions, I kind of go over to those states and just kind of pick their brain throughout the two, two and a half, three days that we were there and bring it back to the uh, Ohio Basketball Coach Association Executive Committee. Hey guys, I'm thinking about doing this. Like this will be a significant financial uh, commitment. Uh, it will be a time commitment, um, but I'm willing to do the time. We're, if we're willing as an association to do this financially, I think I can get Michigan on board that will bring more value. And I mean, about more value as far as athletes um, that will attract the college coaches. And the association said, let's try it. Let's do it for a year and see what happens. So we move away from the individual showcase to more of a team showcase. And uh, the first year, last year, we had 100 teams from Ohio and Michigan. This year, um, we're going to expand it. We're going to get a little bit larger. We're going to be somewhere in the 115, 120 teams. Ohio will be a part of that. Obviously, Michigan was very happy with the event and the exposure, the exposure and competition their athletes received at the event. So Michigan will be back. And then we're going to add a, a couple schools uh, from West Virginia and then uh, several schools from Kentucky. So we're going to have a... Uh, four state event. Um, so, you know, it kind of fits the name a little bit better with Midwest Live uh, with the hopes of maybe expanding it to more states in the future. Um, as far as 
how the event was received. I feel like it was uh, overwhelmingly positive from head coaches of colleges, head coaches of high schools, from players and parents. Um, I feel like uh, they got a lot of bang for their buck when it comes to the event. So hopefully we can um, duplicate that here this coming June. So Doug, having been at the event last year, uh, you did a fantastic job. Uh, I know it was a, a tall task to take on, but you did a great job. And I know you had some great people around you helping you behind the scenes as well. Uh, the one follow-up I do have to that, um, as this is, podcast is going to be released uh, mid-April, if a team is interested in Midwest Live, how do they get in it? So, great question. I've had that question asked of me probably 50 or 60 times in the last couple months. Um, but first, you said there's a lot of people helping, uh, which is absolutely true. Adam, uh, you did a, a great job when just helping with the logistics of it all, you know, ordering gear or uh, just helping out social media wise. Pat Carroll with the, the program and the information to the college coaches. Um, he did a fantastic job. Uh, Joe Bogdan up in Canton with the scheduling, like he got that completed in no time. I mean, it probably would have took me a half a year to do what he did in a day or two. Um, Joe Baylog, uh, the executive director of the Coach Association, extremely helpful. Tom Barrick, uh, court monitor, extremely helpful. So yeah, it, it wasn't me, um, you know, just being a head coach or being the president of the association or being a director of an event. You know, you got to have good people around you. And I absolutely have good people around us. Um, as far as applying for the event, you go on to the uh, OHSBCA uh, social media platforms, Instagram, Facebook, or Twitter. Um, there will be links there for girls and boys. So the Coach Association is doing a girls event this year. As well as a boys event, there's links on those social media platforms to coaches to click on, type in the information, um, and your application will be reviewed, and uh, we'll go from there. Awesome. Well, thank you for that information, uh, Doug. Uh, before we get to our uh, triple threat segment, I got one more question for you, and it's geared around the state tournament. Uh, you know, as president of the Coaches Association, you are in contact often with the OHSAA Commissioner, Doug Yu. Uh, can you share with our listeners the reasons you have been given for moving the state tournament to Dayton instead of keeping it in Columbus, where it was more centrally located? Mm -hmm. uh, the move has not been a popular one. And one of the main reasons people are pointing to to explain the significant drop in attendance at the state tournament. So can you tell our listeners what you've heard from the commissioner's office? rightfully or wrongfully so i mean answer to most or if not all of your questions is money it takes money to put on these events so comparing the uh the Shantine center and uh ohio state to the ud arena and the university of dayton it's a financial thing the ohsa saves a significant amount of money by taking it to ud arena that's kind of where it sits ud wants that state tournament and you know and a lot of times that question's brought up a lot to me you know and where i taught and coached at for 15 years at ironton like the football state tournament was up in canton and like it's up in the you know northeastern part of the state it's not centrally located there tennis state championships are in cincinnati though just does the best they can with what they have and i think the state tournament is a at UD arena is great 
as far as attendance is concerned. I mean, there's a number of factors with that. People have more things to do. I could pay 10 bucks and watch it on my computer. So there, there's a multiple facet answer to this, but the long and the short of it is it's money. Um, it is very expensive to put on one session, let alone 12 sessions at the Schottenstein Center. So Doug, now we'd like to transition to a segment that we call Triple Threat, where we are going to give you three topics and let you share share your thoughts, ideas, experiences, and or suggestions with our listeners. Are you ready? Let's hear it. The shot clock and NIL. Is it coming to high school basketball in the state of Ohio? Man, that is a question that we talk about every, Adam, do we not talk about this in every meeting that we have? is the shot clock. We do, <laughs> but our, our listeners deserve an answer from the president of the OHSBCA. Okay, so shot clock, uh, in my opinion, will be in Ohio. The only question is when will it be in Ohio? I personally, Doug Graham, do not have a problem with the shot clock. I kind of tend to agree. I think it was Coach Montgomery on your podcast talked about maybe a 35-second shot clock, maybe 40-second shot clock. I would not be opposed to. I'm personally in favor of the shot clock. NIL, I'm in favor of NIL too. I think it will come to Ohio probably maybe not for 5, 10, 15 years. Who knows? But, you know, if somebody can make a couple dollars off selling a jersey or autographing a football helmet, I mean, I don't I don't see a problem with that. Okay. Second question. Talk about handling a multi-sport athlete and how you made it work at Ironton with J.O. Volleyball and Travel Softball. Every coach deals with this. So part of that question is, and that's something I struggled with too early on in my career. And as I moved on, I got better with it. But your sport is not the end all and be all of all these little, all, all these players' uh, lives. Most of the time they're doing it because their friends are doing it. Um, they're doing it for something to do. You know, their passion may be volleyball and they play basketball because their friends are playing basketball. So you got to keep that in your mind with this, um, knowing that, you know, you still got a job to do and you want to put the best product on that floor that you can. But for me personally, when I coached varsity girls basketball, uh, volleyball and softball are big, big things, big sports to those young ladies. So the volleyball coach at Ironton was fortunately on my staff. Fortunately, she was Beth Campbell was amazing to work with. She was Ironton black and orange through and through. She would do anything for an Ironton student, an Ironton athlete. So we really worked hand in hand with our summer schedule. I know she had a volleyball summer league on certain days of the week. I stayed away from those or did something really early in the morning. Um, as far as travel softball is concerned, I did nothing on the weekends. Uh, in June. It was strictly Monday through Friday. And if we did anything on Friday, it was really early on Friday. That way they could go home and get packed and get cleaned up and hit the road for their softball tournament that Friday night or Saturday morning, whatever the case may be. So work with your volleyball coach. You know, you don't want to make your athletes choose a sport. You want them to be involved, especially in the smaller schools. You want them to be involved in as many things as possible, you know, and, and do the best you can, you know, and put that schedule out there as soon as you can. One of my best players, her future was in softball, no doubt. I mean, she could hit the ball a mile. So, and I know she was going to travel ball, travel softball every weekend in June. I just thought, why am I going to come up and try to get these girls in here when a big part of my team, and rightfully so, uh, was going to travel softball on the weekend. So I didn't do anything on the weekends through June. It was Monday through Friday. I mean, on Friday, we did it really early and try to get the schedule out uh, as early as I can uh, in the springtime. 
So, Coach, you kind of already answered this, but the third question in our triple threat package is making the most out of the month of June. How did you do that? How did you structure your activities? Where did you go? What did you do? Did you go to shootouts, leagues? Did you do a lot of skill work, lifting? How did you get the most out of June? Because once you get to July, a lot of times kids are going on vacations. They're transitioning to volleyball or another fall sport. So what are some things you did there? So I never went into July. Volleyball and and for a lot of schools, soccer was really starting to take off. So I never did anything in July other than some shooting or skill work. And that's if a girl would contact me, which oftentimes they would, which is fine, which is great. I would only go through June. And I, me personally, loved like three team scrimmages. I felt like you got a lot of coaching and instruction done because especially at my home gym, I could film it and watch it and critique it and come up with, you know, ways to fix it uh, in the next scrimmage or the next practice we had, getting ready for the next scrimmage, whatever the case may be. I really like three team scrimmage in the summertime. So we did that three or four uh, days out of the summer. Um, we I always like going to a high Dominican. I thought they ran an excellent shootout. They had great competition, great officiating. Their games were always on time. Um, I always hosted one. It was always after uh, Father's Day. I ran it for about 12 or 13 years. It went from a one-day, eight-team event to my last summer of doing it. Uh, prior to COVID, we, it was a two-day, like 37 teams. Um, that's varsity and JV included. So I did that a couple days. Always did a youth camp, usually the week after the boys. That always had, I don't know, 50 to 80, uh, sometimes 85 girls there. Um, so did a youth camp, uh, did shootouts, but I really liked three team scrimmages because I could I'd get the varsity in, in the varsity gym and then the JV or, or the auxiliary gym. And uh, I could record uh, the scrimmages and, and get a lot of teaching and improvement done in that area. And uh, I didn't do anything team wise in July, just individuals. Well, coach, we have one last question for you. But before we get to that, thank you again for coming on the show tonight and spending some time with us and our listeners here on the uh, Holding Court podcast. It's been great. Um, you know, I feel uh, honored to be on here with, you know, some of the people that I've listened to and respect with Coach Baylaw, Coach Barrick, Fort Laramie coaches that were on there. I enjoyed that. Brennan Sir was on here. So it, it's this podcast and what you guys are doing is great. And I know people across the state look forward to when that podcast drops. Appreciate the kind words. So, Coach, our last question since you stepped away from coaching in 2021, you've put on a new hat. You're transitioning into your role as principal at South Point High School, where now you're looking at athletics through a different lens, maybe a little more holistically. What type of things do you look for beyond wins and losses in determining a coach's overall effectiveness in leading one of your athletic programs? I definitely have a different lens on uh, than what I had before, where before I had my lens was on, you know, basketball. Now my lens is from August all the way up until May and June. I'm, I'm evaluating uh, the athletic department. So things I look for in coaches is obviously you're looking for organization of equipment, practice schedules, game schedules, summer schedules. You're looking for X's and O's and strategy. You're looking at are they prepared scouting wise and and that's that stuff is kind of kind of easy to look at and identify and see but just from a coaching what i'm looking for 
for a coach is that coach investing in the school community is that coach investing in that player whenever instead of them instead of it being football season are they still you know going to the track meet are they going to the baseball game for example <clears throat> our football coach uh, Coach Davis, he chaperoned the pet bus to the basketball game to the Athens Combo during our tournament run. You know, that kind of stuff sticks out in my mind. Is the coach taking pride in the school, picking up a Pop-Tart wrapper that fell off of a student's tray instead of walking by it? Are they picking it up? Just are they investing in the school community? Are they investing in the child when it's not their season? Are they helping them just grow as a young lady or a young man? Um, that's what I'm looking for. Thanks for listening to Holding Court, presented by the Ohio High School Basketball Coaches Association. Make sure you subscribe so you don't miss any future episodes. In the meantime, keep up with us on Twitter and Facebook at OhioBKCoaches, on Instagram at OHSBCA1947, and online at www.oh.nhsbca.org. Until next time.